Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Uncanny Treks, where according to popular, and by popular I mean Matt, where according to popular requests, we are checking in on the X-Men comics. We're seeing where they're at at the end of 2023 and the start of 2024. It's Fall of X. Fall of X. Yeah. I'm Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. Matt, how are you falling from X today? Doing okay, Bob. I feel like I have an encyclopedic knowledge of x-men in my head but i feel like it's all stacked on top of each other ready to just fall what happens when it falls i i just completely lose interest in it and <laughs> go to the next thing that's depressing i'm trying to shape it up though bob so it stays intact that, that, that's what this podcast is for at this point it's to make sure that uh I can understand what's actually going on in the X-Men comics. I'm just not making it up in my head. Uh, pretty soon they're going to relaunch the X-Men, and it seems like they're just going to go back to the most basic, basic stuff. Uh, it really depresses me, but maybe it'll in increase your enjoyment of the X-Men. No, Bob, I am enjoying every last bit of this. This is good stuff. It's just to really understand it all, you have to have a knowledge of a great deal of X-Men. Like you have to have a you need to know about a lot of characters, a lot of different things going on at the same time. You really have to immerse yourself in Krakoa to get an understand to really get it. At least for we'll me, we'll see. When I was reading, we'll it. see uh, whether or not you do. We're going to immerse you into Krakoa anyway. I, I also <laughs> want you to be honest with me, Bob, and that's in saying that with it comes to the storytelling, the way that the Krakoa era was written, there's no hand holding. Whereas I think with most comic books that I've read in the past, with the exception of some of the ones you've exposed me to, are very linear and good versus evil. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more, but I would say, except for the, the stuff about Moira and the timeline stuff, the storytelling is pretty linear. It just, it's not always clear how linear it is, but it actually is pretty linear. And... I don't actually, I think you only really needed to keep up with two monthly comics to understand Krakoa in hindsight, but they didn't market and, it that way. They definitely didn't market it that way. And we're going to put that to the test, Bob, because I read the two comic lines that you told me I needed to read, which are the X-Men main line, which is just called X-Men, and the Immortal X-Men. And I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of what's going on. But I want to start at the good. beginning. And when I say the beginning, I don't mean the beginning of X-Men. I mean the beginning of the Krakoa era. Before you start there, let's just say for clarity, every year or so, they give an overarching brand name to the year of Krakoa. So we're in the fourth overarching brand name. It's called Fall of X. It started in the summer of 2023, and it seems like it's going to be wrapped up by spring or early summer of 2024. This will be the end of Krakoa, and there will be some sort of pretty hard reset. For anyone uninitiated in the Krakoa era, it started in 2019 with two miniseries, House of X and Powers of X, that were both written by Jonathan Hickman, who we love. The mutants build their own nation on Krakoa. Wishing to remain a sovereign nation, they uh, come to a compromise with the Homo sapiens and give them magical flowers from Krakoa that cure diseases and extend life, uh, so the humans mm -hmm. will leave them alone. Am I correct on that? Yes. So the Quiet Council becomes the ruling body of Krakoa, and their interactions is where all the really good stuff happens in the comics, at least in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, you have all kinds of members on it from different incarnations of the X-Teams. You've got Professor X, Nightcrawler, Shaw, Emma Frost, Hope. Mr. Sinister. Just all the really fun characters that everybody loves are on this Quiet Council. Kitty Pride, And they've created this mutant circuit where they can resurrect any mutants that uh, die. But the problem is this has a cue, and that they want to also resurrect the 
millions and millions of mutants who died on Genosha. Quick trivia question. Do you know what the first mutant circuit is? It comes up a couple times in the comics we looked at for today. Damn it. Bob, help me with that. The first mutant circuit is the fastball special. I did read that. Damn it. This, this circuit allows them to resurrect, to... but in order to resurrect these mutants on Genosha, they needed their DNA. Well, who has all these? Has all this DNA? Because he collects it like like their Pokemon, uh, Mister Sinister. So they let mm -hmm. Sinister on their council. While Mister Sinister is definitely one of the bad guys in this, the big bad is this group called Orcus, who just hate mutants, and they mm -hmm. uh, have access to sentinel technology they also have access to future sentinel technology because a cup one sentinel uh, a mega sentinel who used to be an x-men has come from the past to help them in prior versions we saw nimrod as a future sentinel but they've constructed nimrod in the present i'm not as familiar with omega sentinel but i do know a good deal about nimrod and then tri sentinel showed up at one point a whole different yeah. thing so matt your explanation is great all correct good baseline information I'm not criticizing the choice, but I'll just say it's amusing that you didn't include Moira. But Moira does make well, everything. We're going to get so. to that, Bob. I didn't yeah, want yeah. to <laughs> jump into the crazy too fast. We also find out that Moira has this mutability where she gets reincarnated as herself. Like, she relives her whole life. And she has ten chances to do this. Ten lives. We're on the tenth life now, I believe. Yes. Although we're things have gotten more complicated in the sense that... Uh, Sinister has gotten Moira's DNA, and Cloned so he's her. been able to clone her and to create branching timelines with her clones. When Sinister uh, screws up in the current timeline or realizes the timeline is too out of control, he goes and he shoots the Myra clone <laughs> and resets the timeline back to what people are calling a save point for the video game people. It, it is funny how with the resurrection cue and with the timeline resets, it has made X-Men very video gamey. Add the time portal, a time gate where they can just jump wherever they want to at any time. <laughs> the whole thing is going to be a great video game one day. I just want the video game to happen because maybe that means in five years they'll stop doing whatever basic stuff that... Tom Brevoort is going to make the X-Men do after this era. I've really liked how the post-Hickman writers have handled Krakoa, but I also, I do want Hickman to someday write what would he have done <laughs> if he'd kept going. He's get to see Claremont in a series called X-Men Forever continue his original run. I'd like to see an X-Men Forever with Hickman in five or ten years. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, I, I really don't want this era to end, but I understand why it's going to have to, because you couldn't keep going with this forever. I, I think you could. There's so but, many pieces, I mean, Bob. I, but there's always going to be so many pieces. The X-Men have the most sprawling cast in comics. Well, when we get to the end, Bob, and we talk about what we read about in the uh, the most recent drop, which was all the of the House of, of X and Rise of Powers of X. Yeah, we talk about what happens in the Rise of Powers of X. Mm. I, I, I see this all coming full circle to where it can go back to that baseline that we're going to be probably be seeing coming up. I agree. I hope but it's all go back to the mansion. I've said this on the podcast before, but my vision of the X-Men has come to be, since I read the Claremont run, the great thing about the Claremont run is it's always changing. It's always moving forward. It's never going back. They didn't go back until Jim Lee came on and forced Claremont to put him back in the mansion for X-Men number one. X-Men can always be doing different stuff. It can be going to outer space. It can be going to Australia. It can be going to hell. So the inevitable mansion reset makes me sad. I'm wondering if they're doing that so that people have an easier jump on point when they start releasing X-Men content on through Disney. That's videos. absolutely why they're doing it. But by this point, we should know that that doesn't work. The people don't jump on. So 
why are we why are we still pretending like every issue has to be someone's absolute first issue as some as people say on twitter matt you're you're mine's first comic for like part three of a seven part spider-man crossover and yeah. you loved it <laughs> people will like it or they won't and if they like it they'll figure it out at a completely different experience my first comic was a batman comic right before nightfall i had batman versus each foe each villain but the point though is you came in in the middle I didn't start his origin or anything. There were ongoing plot lines before Nightfall about him being tired, about yeah. John Paul Valley coming. There were already ongoing plot lines that you didn't start at the beginning of. But let's just put this way. They weren't as convoluted as some of what we're going to be talking about here. <laughs> you may have a different opinion, but there's so much stuff that it's hard for me to figure out what I really need to look at. Even when we were talking about what I needed to read to have this conversation, we agreed, disagreed on what I needed to read <laughs> because I just didn't know. Yeah. The fall of it started back in the summer of 2023. It's coming in two waves. We had a series of miniseries that just ended, and we'll talk about those. And we have a series of miniseries that are just starting. We'll talk about those. And then, Matt, you wanted to give some of the broad points of Fall of X so far? In, in Fall of X, we have the Hellfire Gala, which, like every year, they, they started off with a gala. In this particular gala, Orcus breaks in, and we find out that the flowers that I mentioned earlier were tainted by yeah. Orcus. They demand that Professor X remove all mutants from Earth through the nearest off-world gate. We talked about before, they have these gates where they can go wherever they need to go. One of those gates leads to Mars, Areco. They were sent somewhere, and Professor X can't even sense they're alive. So he thinks they're dead. We discover that they've been transported to some desert somewhere. They're they're wandering in a desert planet full of religious overtones. Just to clarify, what Matt's describing, like he said, is the Hellfire Gala. That's the one shot that sets up this era of Fall of X. All of the miniseries and ongoing series we're going to discuss take place in the new status quo where Orcus is dominating Earth. Most mutants, but not all mutants, have gone off-world, and Xavier is left alone on Krakoa and thinks he's killed most mutants. And that's where this is structured so differently, because that book sets the stage for the rest of the year. You read this book, then you choose what you're interested in. There's a lot of stuff. Let's look at some of these miniseries that came from the fall. Okay, events. we're going to try and quickly go through the miniseries and some of the ongoing series that started X um, after the Hellfire Gala. If they have a sequel coming up in uh, early 2024, we'll talk about that sequel. Only maybe half have sequels or have continuations. Uh, Bob, did you read all these? Uh, I'll say what I didn't read. I'll, I'll do that as well as we go through, because I've read some of them, some of them only read half of it. The first one is Alpha Flight. Uh, you may know Alpha Flight. They're the Canadian superhero team that has some mutants on them and is often antagonist or allies of the X-Men, depending on the story. Um, I, I've read or skimmed every Alpha Flight comic. That's not that impressive. There's not that many of them. <laughs> and I like the characters who are on Alpha Flight, but I have never really read an Alpha Flight comic I have liked or admired. Uh, this was the first that I really liked. Um, the status quo is that um, Alpha Flight is pretending to hunt mutants in Canada, but actually they're helping shelter them from Orcus. It's great. Ed Brisson and Scott uh, Godleski uh, are the writer and artist. They do a tremendous job. I really want to see them do more with Alpha Flight. I'm sad that so far there's no follow-up to the series on schedule. 
you figure out the little twist after the first issue, which is neat. The first issue is, like Matt's saying, spoilers, is formatted as you think they betrayed the X-Men. I was reading it actually mad. Like, man, are we really just going to have a four or five issue miniseries about Canadian fascists? Yeah. But no, there's a good reverse. I, I enjoyed it, Bob, but you're right. It doesn't really affect the story that much, but it was fun to see Alpha Flight. My only real exposure to them has been on the animated series. And that was primarily Vindicator and Puck. Yeah. I, 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 I got attached to Puck when he showed up in an Uncanny X-Force comic about 10 years ago. I thought he was great in it. The, not the Uncanny X-Force you've read, but more obscure relaunch of it. X-Men's not yeah, convoluted, so that, folks. So that's Alpha Flight. Uh, it's a solid comic, but like Matt said, not something you have to read to understand the status quo. The next one is Astonishing Iceman by Steve Orlando and Vincenzo Caruta. Um, this is not my favorite book of Fall of X by any means, but it's a solid book about Iceman being the most public face of resistance to Orcus left on Earth, um, which is a neat deal. It seems to be part of Marvel's strategy of big-upping Iceman over the past few years, which is partially related to the fact that Iceman has finally come out of the closet, and it's partially related to his Omega Mutant status, and it's partially related to his high nostalgia factor because of his appearance in Spider-Man and his amazing friend. You know, that really is a, a heartwarming story. He's come out of the closet, and now he's more powerful than ever. I really do appreciate that overall arching arc there, though. That's neat. It's a good yeah. angle. This is a very queer book. Um, the writer, Steve Orlando, is bisexual and has written very good queer-themed Big Two comics before. Matt, did you ever read his Midnighter series? I don't think I did. That was like maybe seven years ago. We should read it for the podcast sometime. It's only three volumes. It's really good. This is not that good, but it's still fun. Steve Orlando is a big Grant Morrison fan. Uh, you can tell from some of his other work. To me, this Astonishing Iceman comic has big all-star superman energy to it it's got like a fortress of solitude it's very fun overall this book was very fun i enjoyed it I, I like the art too i don't know why the art drew me in on this one <laughs> but it did that was bright and a little cartoony as i recall that's exactly the way to describe it definitely worth a read it's not gonna give you any huge plot points the overall plot but if you like Iceman, it's a good book there's no follow-up uh, immediately scheduled for the rest of fall of x but I, I expect they'll keep pushing Iceman as one of the biggest solo X-Men. I expect. I hope he's one of the cooler <laughs> ones. <laughs> okay, the next one is, and I should say, all of these are miniseries. And if it's not a miniseries, I'll say that it's not a miniseries. Um, the next one is Children of the Vault by Dennis Camp and Luca Mercerka. It's not my favorite, but it's a solid book. Um, you probably don't know the Children of the Vault, Matt, but they're X-Men antagonists created in uh, the aughts, there's a cool Mike Carey run on X-Men that we should look at sometime. And I, I really like them as adversaries. They're post-human adversaries to the X-Men, as opposed to being mutants, which is to say they're highly evolved humans. We have seen the Children of the Vault some in John Hickman and Jerry Duggan's runs on the main X-Men book. And this does follow from that, but I don't think it's super necessary to have read that stuff to understand this. This doesn't really play much into the ongoing Fall of X story. It's a little bit of false advertising because the Children of the Vault are more the antagonist or the problem in this book, and it's more of a Bishop and Cable team-up book. That's the thing with these miniseries. Whatever characters need something to do and give them something. In this case, the Children of the Vault, Bishop Cable needed something to do. But Children of the Vault yeah. themselves... Aren't they in the vault growing their powers? Yes. The vault moves on a greatly accelerated timeline as compared to the rest of the world. Which, if you go in there, you can accelerate um, your powers much quicker, which is another video game type thing. 
I don't think you've read the the Hickman issue where Sink and uh, Laura Wolverine go into the vault, but it's amazing. It's one of the best single issues Hickman ever did. Like you say, it's very video game. Like I'm already sitting here mapping out the video game. You can upgrade in the vault. You can travel fast at the gates. You can have a save point with the resurrection protocol. It doesn't seem like they're going to do a sequel to Children of the Vault and Fall of X, but they are doing a new cable miniseries by a different writer. Honestly, the advertisements for that cable miniseries don't have me excited, and it's not clear if that cable miniseries will follow much up on this series at all. So the next miniseries on our plate, Matt, is a Dark X-Men by Steve Fox and Jonas Scharf. Matt, do you remember who Steve Fox is? He's the writer of uh, House of 92. I didn't realize the same guy. If you familiarize yourself enough with Krakoa, go, go read that. They need to turn that comic into an animated series. I, that needs to be season two of X-Men 97. One of the things that I think does make following the Krakoa era somewhat complicated is that you, you probably should follow writers more than you should follow characters. And we'll talk about Cy Spurrier in a minute, who's had like an ongoing series through miniseries, mm -hmm. where each series follows up on the previous series. Although with Steve Fox, that doesn't seem to be the case, because I, I didn't catch any major connections between House of 92 and Dark X-Men. His next series coming up is Dead X-Men, which I'm also not sure if that's going to connect to Dark X-Men at all. Dead X-Men looks like it's about a bunch of X-Men who get resurrected. That's an interesting series coming up in the fall of X-Men. Uh, with Dark X-Men 2, it, it had that this dark web crossover that apparently went through so many comic books. It ruined my amazing Spider-Man experience. It's a follow-up um, to the dark web crossover, which, as I understand it, you might know better than I, basically Ben Riley and Madeline Pryor team up. That is exactly what it is. That sucked. I didn't read it. Uh, I will say, when I was reading Dark X-Men month to month, I had a good time with it. When I reread it all together after the miniseries was finished, I was a little lost, and I felt like it would have been better had I read Dark Web. That sums up Dark Web. It's like you're forced to read it to understand the other titles, and that, that bothers me when they do that. Like, I don't yeah. want to have to read a completely separate series I'm not that interested in. But it, it mm -hmm. interrupted Amazing Spider-Man, which I hate when they do that, when you have this decent yeah. story being told. They're like, oh, no, we got to do a crossover now. We'll try to connect the basic story, but, you know, we got to put random ass Ben Riley in here to, to screw over things. As you may have noticed, we're going in alphabetical order with the titles. Um, alphabetically, the next title is Immortal X-Men uh, by Kieran Gillen and Lucas Wernick, but we'll save that to talk about with Kieran Gillen's new comic at the end. Next up is Invincible Iron Man by Jerry Duggan and Juan Frigieri. Uh, Matt, I gotta be honest, I hate Tony Stark, so I didn't read this. What happened with Iron Man here, though? He married Emma Frost, right? His technology is being used in the Sentinels, and he's marrying Emma Frost. And in Jerry Duggan's main X-Men comic, he's involved with Hellfire Club politics. So I assume that's what the comic is about. Emma Frost is hiding as his like, assistant. What about Miss yeah. Marvel? Uh, we have a new Miss Marvel miniseries. It's uh, co-written by Iman Villani and Sabir Pizzada. If you're not familiar with those names, uh, Villani is the actress who plays Miss Marvel in the Disney Plus series. Uh, Pizzada uh, wrote some of that series and some of the Moon Knight series. And the artist is Carlos Gomez. Uh, we just had in the Hellfire Gala, uh, Miss Marvel get resurrected and revealed as a mutant. This is tying Miss Marvel more into the world of mutants. She's stuck on Earth like Iceman. 
and some of the other characters in Duggan's X-Men. This somewhat overlaps with Jerry Duggan's X-Men, but you could also read it um, read it on its own, and it would be fine. A sequel series with Ms. Marvel is starting <laughs> in March, and it's by the, the two same writers. Let's talk about this Realm of X. Realm of X is by uh, Torin uh, Grobbeck and uh, Diogenes Neves. Um, I'm trying to do a read of all of Marvel's Asgard comics, Matt, but I... I took a break around 2012, not in the year 2012, but around (laughs) 2012. I didn't feel caught up to read this. In some ways, it looks like it's a follow-up to the New Mutant series, and it's about Danny Moonstar and Ileana Rasputin in Asgard. I'll read this at some point when I'm more caught up with Asgard stuff. It looks like it could be pretty fun. Um, It doesn't seem to have a sequel coming in early 24. Now we're going to move into two comics that I did read. I read Uncanny Avengers. And also read Uncanny Spider-Man. I purposely made it alphabetical, so Matt's contributions would have to wait till the very end. Uncanny Avengers, it's fun. You get to see characters you recognize, at least, that aren't mutants, Captain America, and stuff like that. The Uncanny Avengers are always a team-up book of X-Men and Avengers, and sometimes also Inhumans and Eternals but definitely always X-Men and Avengers. Um, I have hated all three of the prior Uncanny Avengers books, but this one is pretty good. Matt, would you agree that it's probably the third most essential book to understand Fall of X? Of all the options, yes. I would say yes. I wouldn't say it's essential. You don't have to read it. In my opinion, all you have to read are Immortal X-Men and X-Men. But yes, the third most essential. Jerry Duggan writes both it and the main X-Men book, so obviously uh, there's some tie over there. We have a lot of good Captain America speeches in this. Captain America refounds the Uncanny Avengers to stand up to Orcus. We also have a romance between Quicksilver and Monet, which is fun. Um, And then less fun for me, I hate this. Deadpool really wants to bone Rogue. I was happy to see Rogue in this series. Rogue has been a major feature uh, of earlier Uncanny Avengers books, which is one of the reasons I dislike the Uncanny Avengers is it (laughs) tends to take Rogue away from the main team. It was good to see Rogue in this. But Captain Krakoa revealed as Steve Rogers' clone. I mean, whatever. For the, for those keeping score at home, I never read this crossover, but it's it's called Secret Empire. Hydra has a clone of Captain America. The Hydra version of Captain America. So it's Nazi Cap. He's the bad guy, which makes a lot of sense. Uncanny Spider-Man. It's Nightcrawler dressed as Spider-Man to hide from Sentinels. And there's backstory with Mystique where Mystique's gone nuts. You also have Nightcrawler uh, having relations with Silver Sable, who's hunting him. Which is very fun. fun. To be clear, Mystique's problems are just that the Xavier psychic whammy back in the Hellfire Gala. It's not more complicated than that. That's not, but it's weird. She's talking gibberish most of the time, to me at least. I'm just saying there's no other explanation, though. It's Hellfire Gala. And that in lies the problem sometimes. I think there's more to some of these things than there actually are. I'm glad you're saying that. A lot of times you're not missing anything. I hope my summaries have shown to this point, you don't actually have to read most of the stuff. But at the same time, though, you feel like you're missing stuff constantly if you're not keeping up. That's maybe the major problem of modern comics, modern DC and Marvel, is readers feel there's more to know than there actually is to know. I've also noticed a lot of times with these comics, they'll mention they're going to go battle something. You no longer have those long, drawn-out battles on the page. It happens. And then you're, the next page, it's the aftermath, which comics have shifted from to that to some degree, especially with X-Men. Yeah. Whereas you would used to see these two or three pages of them fighting something. I don't see that as much now. We'll do it off panel, and then we'll talk about the repercussions. When I do that, though, I think 
that whatever that battle or whatever is happening in some other comic. And that's where uh, I get lost too. Like I think, yeah. oh, they're saving that for something else, but then there's nothing else that actually happens. There's two things in what you said, Matt, that are worth pulling out. One, I slightly disagree with you in that I do still think like most modern superhero comics still do have like action scenes. But you're right that the emphasis on the action scenes is not what it was for most of the history of the genre. When I say there are action scenes, yes. But I'm saying some of them, they pick specific scenes in which they want to show the action. And then others, they're like, okay, let's let that happen off panel. Let's let them imagine how that happened and move ahead. The other thing that's in what you said is really valuable, too, is that we grew up reading 90s comics where the crossover showed everything in tie-ins so the natural assumption you have after after coming up that way is that okay if there's something that's alluded to or understated or off panel here it'll be somewhere else but that's no longer the dominant style like grant morrison especially the way he wrote a dc 1 million and final crisis paved the way for this more willingness to have stuff off panel than you would have had in a crossover like legends or a crossover like zero hour i didn't realize that until i read all this x-men stuff like <laughs> it just it's hit me now there's a whole different way they're presenting this a different structure that i'm not as familiar with because i'm used to the more linear aspect painting every picture, every battle. Look at the random clone saga. How many issues you had to go through and how every single detail about everything. It was awful. One other thing I will say about Uncanny Spider-Man, it makes the most sense to read. And again, this is one of the things that makes entering the Krakoa era challenging is I've said you need to follow writers, although I've also said with Steve Fox, that doesn't work. Yeah. But with Cy Spurrier, you want to have read the other three volumes of stuff he's done. He had a mini series called Way of X collected in one trade. Then he had an ongoing series called Legion of X collected in two trades. So this is volume four of Cy Spurrier's Nightcrawler because Nightcrawler is the lead or the co-lead of all of those books. And plot wise, it doesn't matter so much. I don't think the plot of Uncanny Spider-Man really depends on the prior three volumes. With what Spurrier's been doing to the character of Nightcrawler, it matters. And that's how I felt that as I was reading, because it wasn't quite the Nightcrawler I'm used to, the way he was talking yeah. and the relationships and things. But yeah. at the same time, I understood everything that was going on. I didn't feel like I was missing yeah. huge, yeah. other than him talking to the little bamp that was talking to him the whole time. That's somewhat more explained if you read Legion of X, although, again, it's not as big a deal as maybe you think it is reading it. And I got that too from the comic. He's dealing yeah. with this. I don't know why, but he's yeah. dealing with it. We'll just go with it. <laughs> Overall, Cy Spurrier's ongoing Nightcrawler comic has been my second favorite part of the Krakoa era after uh, Hickman and Gillen's ongoing stuff. It seems like it's done after this, and that makes me sad. It's an interesting take on Nightcrawler. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's cool to have a Spider-Man that can teleport. The most basic piece there is yeah. really neat. The idea <laughs> of what he can do differently and coming down from his tail the same way Spider-Man comes down from the web. That whole visualization is cool. Next up, we're finally getting to some ongoing series. We're going to talk about two. Uh, Wolverine and X-Force. They're both written by Ben Percy. Jeff Shaw does the art on Wolverine in this era. Robert Gill does it on X-Force. Matt, does it surprise you that Wolverine and X-Force are the two longest ongoing series of the Krakoa era? Not really. X-Force has been going since the beginning. Wolverine yeah. started not long after the beginning. They're both going to end at 50 issues. That's crazy. I've been all over the place on these series. Uh, 
I've really liked both at different points. I've really hated both at different points. Sometimes they felt just like the same book split into two because Wolverine was, especially in the early days of X-Force, of this version of X-Force was pretty important. But other times they feel totally separate. Um, at times they've sometimes felt like the most important books in Krakoa, like they're paying the most attention to continuity. At other times they felt like they don't matter at all. <laughs> It, it's wild, man. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm at a point where I don't think either matters. There's three issues left of X-Force, and I think it's going to be a pretty perfunctory wrap-up. We'll see. I might be wrong, but I think it's going to be pretty perfunctory. Wolverine was just starting a big series called Sabretooth War, and I was not looking forward to it, Matt, because <laughs> I don't like tooth. But uh, then I read the first issue of Sabretooth War, Matt, which came out last Wednesday, and I'm even less excited for, for Tooth War. Do you know why I'm less excited for Tooth War, Matt? Why? Matt, what if there were a Sabretooth verse? A multiverse, uh, so, is that what you're saying? Yep. I'd totally forgotten this, but there's been two Sabretooth miniseries during the Krakoa era. Uh, some people have really liked them and have really highly praised them. I've, I've thought they were pretty bad. In the second one, we get into multiversal Sabretooth. And so there's like a whole army of Sabretooth that Wolverine is going to fight. I could not care less, man. Do we really need that? Like, I don't understand. Sometimes we have some amazing things come through, like the X-Men stuff. And then other times it's, it's so dumb. Who wants yeah, that? Who, who's like, oh, yeah, what we need is, you know, that Spider-Verse movie? You know what would make it better? What if it was about Sabretooth? We'll see if we can buy it. <laughs> I won't be buying it, Matt. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish Percy's X-Force, but I am definitely not reading Tooth War. I'm going to leave Tooth War alone. But I had assumed back when they thought it was going to be Wolverine versus Sabretooth, I was like, oh, man, this sounds bad. But I've read 40 issues of this comic. I can read 10 more. <laughs> read it all. Finish it all. At least I'm not reading the Tooth first matt all right um, strictly alphabetical order the next thing would be jerry duggan and stefano caselli's uh, ongoing x-men series but we'll we'll skip that for now too and come back to it at the end next up is x-men Ewing and yindri sinar matt back in the day i told you this was one of the best x-men comics ever written and for that i apologize that's okay bob the first three issues of this comic back in the day were amazing they were some of the best x-men comics i've ever read but then the crossover started, and it just totally sandbagged the series. Uh, yeah, so there's other things I could say, but honestly, I don't care, it, which makes me sad. There is a sequel series coming. I'm not excited for it. It's called Resurrection of Magneto. Because, you know, he, he can't just be completely dead. Nope. He'll be back. Now it's time for the exciting stuff. Let's talk about the new comics. Are you ready? Okay, sounds good, Bob. So let's talk Fall of X first. Fall of the House of X by Jerry Duggan and Lucas Wernick. After the Hellfire Gala, one of the main books to read to follow this was the ongoing X-Men oh. series. It's about the resistance of the X-Men left on Earth. And we see Kitty Pride go full Shadow Cat, embrace her ninja training from way back in the Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries. We see Cyclops in captivity by Orcus. We see the Juggernaut getting broken out. We see some of Emma Frost's machinations. We see Miss Marvel meet Doctor Doom and Doctor Doom's Latverian mutants. It's a pretty fun series. I've been up and down on X-Men uh, by Jerry Duggan, but the last six issues or so have been great. It's been a really fun uh, underground resistance book after the Hellfire Gala. And then uh, what I thought was going to be the continuation of that is Fall of the House of X. 
by Jerry Duggan and Lucas Wernick, but it's not really so much that, right? Have, have you ever read the famous Trial of Magneto issue from Uncanny X-Men 200? That's the one where he has that weird costume with a big M on it. It's making a return in 97. Uh, so we basically are redoing the Trial of Magneto, but instead it's Orcus putting Cyclops on trial, and it feels a little more accelerated than the Uncanny X-Men 200, too. So the focus of this issue is mostly on Cyclops and Orcus. Um, it definitely follows from Jerry Duggan's X-Men series, but it didn't pick up the threads maybe as much as I was expecting. But um, there is a lot to like in it. Um, we have a cool Western dream that Cyclops has where different characters are kind of put in stereotypical Western positions. We also have some uh, old threads from Jerry Duggan's X-Men books show up. We see Polaris go full Magneto, which is really interesting. And we see the return of Brew, the mutant Brew. This return was set up in Jerry Duggan's X-Men. And let me tell you what I love about Cyclops' dream, Bob, is that Jean Grey makes a little cameo in it to help save yeah. him from getting hung. It's a little cheesy, but there's a great moment in the issue, right, where Cyclops is telling um, telling the doctor from Orcus that only one person can judge him, and it's very clear who he means. Exactly. <laughs> We're going to have this miniseries, Fall of the House of X, keep going, and there's going to be some sort of relationship between it and Jerry Duggan's X-Men book, which is also going to go on for about five more issues. Really cool imagery in this issue, Bob. On page 18, when Wolverine gets his ass handed to him and his like skin is just ripped to shreds, I love it when they do that. You, you also notice all the return of the classic costumes. Cyclops is wearing his yeah. old school outfit. Nightcrawler's back. But Nightcrawler does have a beard, which is cool. Wolverine and Colossus are back in very classic outfits, too. Yeah. Colossus has a beard as well. Colossus's beard has been a major part of X-Force. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to do with Fall of the House of X-Men? Professor X has a beard as well. I'm just trying to make sure I get all the beards in. Well, also, I need some clarity. At one point... Krakoa faces Nimrod, and Krakoa literally gets up with legs and walks around. Can it disconnect from its own island? It, it varies, but yeah, sometimes. It sort of does uh, that at the end of Giant Size X-Men number one. Right, so that makes sense. So it can just get up and leave. The text says that Krakoa is weakened and diminished. I guess it can eject itself. Uh, <laughs> now, the other thing with this too about Polaris, she's like uber powerful. Polaris coming into herself has been a, a long-running part of Duggan's X-Men. Let's talk a little bit about Rise of the Powers of X, which just released this week. This is written by Kieran Gillen. It's art by R.B. Silva, who you may remember was one of the original artists on House of X and Powers of X. Um, I was really surprised by this one. I was expecting it to be more of a sequel to the end of Kieran Gillen's uh, Great Immortal X-Men series, which um, you talked about a little, Matt. It's Exodus, Hope, Destiny, Wandering on the Desert Planet with most of the Krakoan population. But instead, do you remember what Powers of X focused on back when we read it a couple years ago? Help me out. <laughs> it primarily focused on explaining the history of Moira's different lives. Oh, that's where yeah. I learned that she had 10 different lives. Ha House did. of X was more focused on like events in the moment. That wasn't always true, but that was mostly the division. We're having a similar division here where Fall of the House of X is mostly covering like the action in the present, at least so far on Earth with like Cyclops and Orcus and the X-Men, whereas Powers of X is exploring alternate realities where they're still fighting against Nimrod and Orcus. This one is really fun. There's homages to Terminator, Jurassic Park, Days of Future Past, and uh, there's some really great sentimental moments with Mystique and Gambit. To read this book, you need to have read House of X and Powers of Ten, 
and you Sinister. need to have read maybe Sins of Sinister, that crossover, and you need to have read Gillen's Immortal X-Men. At the moment, I'm surprised how little it crosses over with Fall of the House of X, um, but I could see that changing. Even though I think you need to have read Gillen's Immortal X-Men, it's not really a follow-up. It seems like there's another Gillen book that's launching called X-Men Forever, and I assume that will more directly follow up on the big confrontation at the end of Gillen's Immortal X-Men where uh, Hope and Destiny are in the white room with the Phoenix. This other universe. You've got an Iron Man who is Tony Stark's last suit before he died. The AI imprint, which I thought was a really cool idea. (laughs) Tony Stark will compare it with Live On Forever if we wanted to. You've got Captain Krakoa, who in this case is Kamala Khan. Exactly. You've got this weird incarnation of Shadow Cat that I even had to question you about. She's called Shadow Tiger. She's way bigger and darker looking. It says she swallowed a death seed. You have Wolverine, who is the living X sanctioned, which I didn't know what that meant, but I'm assuming it's something cool. I think it's uh, a little bit of a reference to the early 90s way of titling things. Extinction Agenda, (laughs) things like that. Extinction. But see, there my brain is like, oh, is there a book I missed where he becomes the ex-sanctioned? The book intentionally swerves you on this because it initially maybe seems like it's set in the present, but then you have to track that, okay, no, this is a dystopian future X-Men. you got to keep that in mind when you're reading these too because this is just an alternate universe. and The characters are really cool. And there's a lot of interesting stuff playing with the idea of AI. We see the Dominion in this, who's sort of present in Sins of Sinister and the end of Immortal X-Men. But here, to me, he looks like Solaris, the tyrant son from All-Star Superman. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of playful stuff, especially since Hickman stopped writing. Nimrod has been played very playful and contemptuous of the mutants. He's had this amusing moment of Dominion shows up and Nimrod just waves and says, hello, God. You really have to read Sins of Sinister to get an understanding of what is going on with Nathaniel Essex other than what they mentioned in the Mortal X-Men. Because they yeah. the idea, Sins of Sinister really pushes it forward, where Mr. Sinister's been using his Myra engine to bring himself back. He's also managed to alter the DNA of mutants who have been resurrected to give them some of his his genetics, which then turns them into Sinisters. He's done this so many times that the entire Quiet Council on one of the timelines is corrupt by Sinister, but then they turn on Sinister. It's a fantastic yeah. comic. And the strange thing is, it's a whole separate, because they've messed with the timeline so much, and there's so many different pieces involved with how they can affect things, it never really feels like it has like the high stakes. It's just a fun read. Sins of Sinister is Mr. Sinister's Age of Apocalypse. Also, this is implicit in what you were saying, but to draw it more out, Sinister, his goal is to make everything himself. Right. Right. You have all the mutants, but they're just all sinister, right? <laughs> they all have the diamond on their head. Sinister's goal of becoming Dominion is the ultimate expression of that. Right. One other thing I wanted to say about Rise of the Powers of X is that it was interesting that when Powers of Ten and House of X came out in 2019, AI was something people talked about, but it wasn't a present reality. Whereas now, a few years later, when they're wrapping this up, everybody's talking about AI as an aspect of daily life. Now, I don't think what we're talking about is AI. What we're talking about are chatbots and large language models and predictive text algorithms. (laughs) That's a far, far cry from the science fictional dream of artificial intelligence. And honestly, to call it AI is misleading. But it is interesting that 
uh, Rise of the Powers of Ten comes out in this moment, and it does have a bit more playful, a bit more ridiculous sense of AI because of what's happened in society in the ensuing few years. What's so strange, Bob, is we're trying to make the future into what we thought it was going to be by calling these things that, like the hoverboard. The thing they yeah. call the hoverboard is not the hoverboard. It does not look like a hoverboard. Yeah. The thing they're calling AI is not AI. Now, virtual reality, it's getting there, but not quite. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah, it's not quite. Not quite what Matt wants from VR troopers. That is an interesting point, and in how, in a sense, though, our environment has shaped this comic, the outcome of this comic. <laughs> Whereas Powers of Ten by Hickman in 2019, or Terminator takes AI deadly serious, in Rise of the Powers of that Ten, it's a little bit of a joke. Matt, I did want to ask you, you, you know who Sink is. Yeah. Did you like him showing up as the Professor X figure? Yeah, that was that was different. I wasn't expecting that, but it was cool. And this is a spoiler. But when Sink says, remember Apocalypse, I do, that activates Apocalypse's power set. That I was extremely it. badass. Like, he even looks like Apocalypse in the face, but he's got the Sink out. Yeah, that was a smart yeah, move. I wonder how long they've waited before they had to do something like that with him. With Jerry Duggan, one of the big projects in his X-Men comic has been not just big upping Polaris, but big upping Sink. Uh, Hickman started this because the big upping of Sink started with the issue where Sink and Lara Wolverine go into the vault. And we're getting Sink as one of the most prominent X-Men. I'm here for it. We both read some Generation X when we were kids, but I, I really liked Generation X. It, it, it hit me a lot. So seeing, seeing characters from that, like Sink and like Monet and Uncanny Avengers hit the big time really makes me happy. So I want to talk about the big ending. The big twist is Professor X is going to murder a 13-year-old uh, Myra McTarget. He and Cypher are going to send Rasputin the Fourth, who's been another ongoing character. She's from the Sins of Sinister timeline, but she came back into the present and has been on the X-Men. They're going to use her to kill Moira before her gift activates, uh, which is an amusing taunt to all of us worried that these comics are just going to reset and erase Krakoa. Killer. I don't think it's going to play out like we expect. You don't think so? I feel like they've written this to where they can go back to the status quo pretty easily with this murdering well, of Moira. Maybe they're lying, and by they, I mean Tom Breaver, the editor who's taking over the X-Men, who has yeah. me feeling so worried. Maybe yeah. he's lying, but I think they are going to significantly reset the continuity, but I don't think they're going to erase Krakoa from the continuity. And they're going to be very creative with how they do it, so hopefully they thought it through. I'm sure they have. This may sound paradoxical, but while I'm very worried about what comes after Krakoa, I feel good about how this era of X-Men is coming to a close. Like, Kieran Gillen is one of my absolute favorite X-Men writers. I love his uncanny X-Men run from the early 2010s. Love what he's done on Immortal X-Men. He's a has a really interesting way of playfully imitating, but also subverting, expanding, and mocking what writers like Grant Morrison and John Hickman do. So I, I'm really excited to see what Gillen has coming for us. And I'm up and down on Jerry Duggan. Like there's some stuff he does that I really don't care for, but I've really enjoyed the past uh, half a year of his X-Men book. And I have faith that he and Gillen together will tie it out. I think we've come to a, an end here after a, a whole lot of X-Men. My X-Men knowledge has been <laughs> shaped up just a little bit. I think I'm okay now. We did clarify what the problem is, though. The problem, just to reiterate, is that you, and to me, and other readers, too, when you read these comics, it can just be hard to tell 
when there is more of something that you need to read to understand it versus when you just need to take what you're getting on its own. And it's very hard to know when, and I think this is true of a lot of modern comics, but it's especially true of X-Men. And it also doesn't help the way they advertise this X-Men line where it makes it seem like all the books are interconnected in a way that they're really not. When you call it Fall of X and then the, the last page of every single issue has that checklist, my brain goes to the checklist in that order. And really, that's just like yeah. the release order. It <laughs> seems order. like they're telling you Wolverine 37 is the next part, but no, it's just the next thing coming out. Honestly, that's been a confusing part of the entire Krakoa era of X-Men, that it's its biggest problem. Because in the entire era, all of the books, even though they interact in the status quo, that whatever the latest Hellfire Gala or whatever the latest crossover sets up, they're basically, you just read them on their own. This marketing thing at the back of the list of books gives you a very false impression of what's actually happening. And a lot of people's frustration with the era is because of that. That is that is what I, the first time I had read, started reading it, I did go and say, okay, now I gotta go find these comics. And then I started reading it and I'm like, they don't really line up with anything going on. But I guess that's why we have podcasts like this, Bob, so we can go through people what happened to, or how good it is. <laughs> I started reading this stuff uh, week to week when the second or the third week of the the launch of the books after House of X and Powers of Ten, I was hearing so much hype and so much good stuff that I just jumped in. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember because it was 2019, but I had the confusion as well. Over time, because I've been reading this stuff mostly week to week as it's come out, I've realized that no, it really is just about following writers who are doing kind of ongoing series through many series. It's not about treating all of these different titles as multi-parts in an ongoing story. Here's to hoping that they put out a Krakoa season of X-Men 97 and possibly a video game. Oh, and <laughs> Spider-Man 2, get us a DLC of the Nightcrawler costume. Folks, we hope you enjoyed our uh, X-Men check-in. Uh, maybe we'll check in as Fall of X advances. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll check in at the end. Maybe we won't. Maybe... Maybe uh, I'll be too sad to say anything about it, and maybe Matt's tottering X-Men knowledge will fall, and he'll just lose interest and go back to Real Housewives. Uh, like Rise of the Powers of X, Matt, our podcast leaves you in suspense. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening, folks.